Hello there, my name is Zack Snyder, and you're <laughs> listening, watching, enjoying the Black Bar Podcast. Happy Halloween, or Harvest, or whatever it is. <laughs> Nothing scarier than this season. Oh, I am hearing an echo of my own voice, which has me worried. Oh my gosh. Okay, it we're okay. It sounds fine on our side. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Nothing scarier than technical difficulties, am I right? <laughs> not to mention that, that but... I the case. <laughs> Oh my gosh. I'm not gonna do it I'm not gonna be able to do it with these teeth this whole time. <laughs> this week I also have a webcam instead of a normal camera, so nothing scarier than technical differences. Wow. Uh, differences? <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, welcome, welcome, welcome. Uh, today uh, we'll be talking about what are we talking about, guys? This has me all thrown off. I committed to the bit and I lost the direction. <laughs> you did a great job. You today, did a great job. We're gonna be talking about <laughs> Mac versus PC in twenty twenty three and twenty twenty four as well as could taylor swift's heiress tour affect our church services because you know we're all talking about taylor swift right now uh and right. then of course <laughs> if you enjoy the conversation or want to come yell at me about my costume you can join us in the black bar discord <laughs> at discord.vlk.bar and then if you need any of our help uh not just during the halloween season with uh content uh come on over to our website at blk.bar welcome gentlemen how are you guys doing i know you didn't commit to the bit even though i asked you to uh <clears throat> every year i come dressed in the same costume seth rogan you know mm. <laughs> i will not make an excuse i just didn't feel like it i didn't i had no costume this year was... well if i have to be the one that's in costume every year then so be it uh we are maybe... here guys <laughs> are you gonna keep maybe those teeth in the whole time I don't know yet. Is it distracting you? No, no but, but I'm just curious I'm, if it's I'm, difficult to talk with those. And um, I, I, it's kind of difficult to talk, but I'm kind of getting used to it. So we'll see how I long I want to see last. how far you get with them now. I, I mean, <laughs> I'm really looking forward to you talking about like the theological and ethical implications of Taylor Swift's era's <laughs> tour in regards to a worship service with vampire teeth. In it. Yeah, uh, so uh, we get that part. I'm also love the idea of like you know the social media posts from this podcast being like Zach dressed as a vampire. Mm -hmm. It's gonna mm -hmm. be out of context. It's gonna be great. <laughs> Listen, that's if nothing else, I'm here to entertain. <laughs> that being said, <laughs> Kayla, why don't you take us into our first topic? Yeah, we got we got a, a tale as old as time with this first topic, a conversation <laughs> that's been raging since as long as these companies have existed, uh, which is the conversation of Mac versus PC in 2023. Mm -hmm. Um if you are in any way sort of connected to the tech world and specifically the Apple world, they just had another big announcement uh, last week uh, and they announced the new MacBook Pro uh, uh, 2023 with the um, M3 chip that they're extremely excited about. Um, Apple's uh, silicone, all of th their CPU chips are ridiculous. They have been ridiculous since they've been announced and they just keep getting better. There's there's no really getting around that. Uh, and the MacBook Pro specifically that they just announced, both the 14 and the 16 inch, are targeted straight at like the media creative professional sort of mm. person um, that like in all of the advertisements, even looking uh, down through the web page they're they're talking about the things that relatively speaking would be important to um, uh, the kind of things that we would need when considering a, a uh, computer. Sure. Um, Caleb, yeah. if we can just set some like baseline before we get into this, mm -hmm. I know that sometimes when we get to the, t oh my gosh, these teeth are something else. 
<laughs> sometimes when we get into the technical stuff, uh, especially mm. when it comes to creatives, sometimes it's easy to get lost into like just kind of zone out. So like, first of all, yes. it's valuable to talk about what the three of us do. I'm a Mac guy. I don't. I have very limited experience with PC. You guys have a lot more FaceTime with PC. Am I right? Most definitely. I'd say I, I, I think Nick and I, we've talked about it a little bit before the podcast. We're definitely, uh, what was it, bilingual? Mm-hmm. In terms of Mac and PC, we are both primarily PC users, PC gotcha. desktop users. And then when we have to be away from our setup at home, we we have MacBooks that we use. Sure. So, okay. But, so but we definitely so there's there's an awareness, at least with Caleb and Nick, of like the full breadth of the content. For me, I'm just going to be stubborn. And if Jason Kelly's watching, he'll tell me he's been trying to get me to do a PC for years. And, uh, you know, we'll get there eventually, I'm sure. <laughs> the little lisp is going to be The years. The uh, <laughs> also, did you, do you like my cape? I've got a cape on, too. So anyway, oh, but <laughs> keep, keeping us on track, yes. even though I'm taking us off yeah. track. So we have a variety. Oh, my God. Nope. You're just it's game over. No, nope, we, nope, nope. we made it five minutes. We made it five minutes in. I couldn't do it. It was the lisp for me. So uh so what's valuable to our audience today is that so we have a variety of experiences within our team. Uh some people might be more pro one or the other. And then also the baseline is is that the argument has always been that PC versus Apple, like you have a lot of people that are super pro PC that says that it's so much more powerful for the for the price point. And for Apple, they're just always up to date with a variety of experiences and tools and resources that make it a competitive market. It's kind of like the iPhone versus Android debate, right? Like oh, everyone's yeah. lining up for the iPhones, right. even though they're probably way more expensive and maybe sometimes not as powerful as the competitor. So that's kind of loosely what this debate is all about. Yeah. And I would say, so I did a bunch of research and yep. mm. I would say that the answer, at least in, in the, uh, in the computer world is a lot more nuanced than the phone world. I think there are a lot more options and depending on the answer is it depends of course, whether Mac or PC to some extent, people are just going to pick what they're familiar with. And that's fine. If you're willing to, you know, just try, if you're willing to, to make a decision specifically based on like price to performance sort of thing, now we can have a conversation. If you yeah. just like Max, then buy Max. Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> chances are the time you would save in rendering the video will not be worth the time it took you to relearn how to use the software that you use, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So if you're already familiar with this stuff, then you know this is a moot conversation. Uh, however, if you are willing to consider to consider a couple different options, the the range, the matrix of different options opens up quite a bit. So there's a couple of questions you have to ask yourself. the f- The first one is: Are you going to are you interested in a laptop specifically, or are you interested in a desktop specifically? Because I think the price propositions are different based on either one. For the most part, at low levels, at like low budget, relatively speaking. Regardless, if you have uh, if you're going Mac or PC, the price to performance is relatively comparable. Like if you only have a thousand bucks to spend on a laptop, whether you throw that at Apple or you throw it at Dell, more mm-hmm. or less, you're going to get similar performance. Mm-hmm. They'll they'll beat each other out at particular things. The CPU sure. on on the Macs, we'll talk about that later, uh, versus the GPU on on more Windows based things. <coughs> Excuse me. But at low at low levels, it's relatively comparable. Once mm-hmm. you start spending more money, 
now the difference has become way more important. On the MacBook side, or on on the laptop side, sorry, Apple has way more of a ceiling. So like mm-hmm. you can you can really, I mean, you can totally, I believe if you spec out the 16-inch MacBook Pro that they just announced, you can spend up to $7,000. Like wow. it's horrifying how much money you can throw at these things. But the $7,000 MacBook is going to blow away by far and above every other laptop on the market without a question. Um, their CPUs, their, the ARM-based processors are just that good. Mm-hmm. Um, meanwhile... On the desktop side, if you have more than $1,000 to throw into it and you're putting more and more money into it, chances are your money is better spent building your own PC, Mm. like a Windows-based operating system. Um, And then you have the options of upgradability and everything, which Mac, for the most part, does not have, uh, even in their Mm -hmm. uh, pro line and whatnot. Yeah, I was going to say, I feel like the argument always that that I always hear for PC is that you have the chance for expansion and growth. It is interesting to hear that about the laptops, though, because (laughs) I've always assumed that both desktop and laptop have that high customization ceiling. But it sounds like if you're going to go PC, maybe the desktop is better. Um, yeah. And, and it's if, worth if, noting that, like, as we're getting into this conversation, like, some of you guys may have heard this. We we did a, a podcast episode in season one with Mike Fusaro, uh, The Great Debate, Mac mm-hmm. versus PC. And then we also mm-hmm. did yep. a YouTube video on this. So we covered a lot of, like, the basics about this right. stuff uh, last year or the year before that. Um, so definitely, <laughs> if you're interested in going deeper, like, definitely go check that out. But I think this M3 chip, Caleb, is probably I'm, – I'm interested to hear how that impacts the old conversation. <laughs> Mm-hmm. we've been having right so when uh, we put out a video like zach was mentioning back in 2020 if i remember correctly and that wow. was Has it been immediately that long? before been that it was immediately before the m1 chips first got launched yeah so yeah. mac was still on intel cpus because i understand not everybody is a complete nerd and understands all <laughs> the letters that i'm using right here a cpu is sort of the brain of the computer it's it's it is the thing that is doing the vast majority of the processing we're also going to talk about gpus in a minute which is a different kind of brain that's also in your computer uh, but the cpu which uh, historically intel and amd are sort of the big producers of, of cpus mac for a number of reasons, decided to ditch Intel and start making their own CPUs that are based off of ARM technology, which is another word that I'm using that you probably don't know what it means. And that's fine. Is that like uh, ARM? But, is that, is that yeah, yeah. Arms? There's just a bunch of ARMs hanging out. It's really crazy. <laughs> uh, okay. Effectively, in like a traditional computer setup, you have your CPU, which is like it's fixed onto the motherboard. And then your graphics card is sort of down here. And even in a laptop, I mean, they're not in the same places, but they're in different places. And your RAM Hmm. is sort of over here and you're, you know, everything is a different unit uh, on a motherboard. And the motherboard is sort of talking to all these things and and making it all work. And that's how 98% of computers have been built since the beginning. ARM processors say, screw that. We can make things a lot more efficient if we, if we take all of those uh, pieces and we smash them into one thing that's really tiny, which would be the CPU, the GPU, uh, the RAM, and the SOC are all smashed together into one soldered little piece of tech that is the M1 chip. That's an ARM-based processor. And the advantage of that, they're they're relatively low power, which means your computer's going to have longer battery life. And because all of those things are built to work together perfectly, uh, the uh, efficiency and the speed that you're able to achieve with those is ridiculous. The biggest downside being you cannot upgrade 
an ARM chip. It is Mm -hmm. the CPU, the GPU, the RAM, all of that. You have to decide what you want at the very beginning Mm -hmm. when you buy the thing. Uh, So it's good. It's not upgradable, right? So the pros and cons or whatever. So speaking (laughs) speaking for the person that has just like zoned out as you started speaking. Uh, you said the ARM processors, it's a lot of stuff that's really powerful, but you have you can't customize it versus a lot right. of different individual devices that you can customize over time if you wanted to. Right, right. Okay. I, I think an example that I've used to describe it is it's the difference between making a sandwich with all of the ingredients in the fridge already, right? And you can mm-hmm. just go here and blah, 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 versus making a sandwich where you get potentially much better ingredients but you have to go to a different store for each ingredient right interesting yeah so technically sure the components are better the individual pieces are better but it takes you way longer to go do those things mm, and sure. that's where the performance of the 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 mac the chips are really good hmm. um so all that being said the GPU element, which is the graphics processing unit inside ARM chips, is kind of mid, and it's been kind of mid <laughs> since they got launched, comparatively okay. to like and you're saying a dedicated graphics Apple, card in the in these Apple right, products. right, yeah. D- compared to a dedicated graphics card. So it really depends when it comes to uh, 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 specifically what programs you use often. Yeah, whether or not you should be using a Mac or a PC, because generally Macs are going to kill it on the CPU side, yeah. and PCs will have more headroom on the GPU side. So at least when you're talking a dedicated graphics card sort of deal. So I just yeah. very quickly went through and looked at a bunch of, of of different programs to see, you know, that that generally I would expect people to use in our audience, just so sure. you can get an idea what's more important in these different environments. For example, Photoshop is like 80% CPU bound, and then it uses some GPU for some acceleration on particular things like zooming and whatnot. Uh, But if you want better performance in there, you want to upgrade your CPU. And Uh, it's worth noting, Caleb, (laughs) that all these programs that you're testing, that they're workable on both systems. Yes. I'm not talking about any programs on this list that are only Mac options or Windows options. Like Final Cut. (laughs) Yes. Uh, Illustrator and InDesign can scale really well off of both CPU or GPU. It really doesn't matter. Uh, Lightroom is almost exclusively CPU, GPUs for a couple tiny things. That's all the graphic design side of photography side when it comes to video editing it actually moves around quite a bit uh premiere is um almost exclusively cpu bound while you're editing yeah and then when you go to render it starts using your gpu sure why it doesn't use more of the gpu while you're editing is beyond me but it doesn't (laughs) matter uh so unfortunately if you're doing if you're using premiere you need pretty good at both uh yeah you know so yeah sorry video editors yeah, what that effectively means is on like an M1 chip, as you're editing, the timeline will be really smooth. But when it goes to render the video, the PC will drive it into the ground, right? Um, That's like when you hear the, whenever, I, I don't know how many of you guys have exported a laptop and you just hear the, oh yeah, like it, it begins to take off, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. right. Uh, to the moon. Fire up the engines. <laughs> uh, After Effects, which is also made by uh, Adobe, uh, yeah. mm-hmm. is almost entirely cpu bound there are a couple small plugins that do use a graphics card uh, but it is not really using a gpu that 
that much at all. Even in the uh, render and export. Even in rendering, it primarily huh. uses CPU. Now, they well, relatively recently, within the past three or four years, have turned on multi-core rendering. So several cores of your computer can be rendering a frame all at the same time, which is oh. great. But it mm. still doesn't use a lot of graphics processing, which mm-hmm. sucks. Uh, DaVinci, however, is almost entirely GPU. And not very much CPU. Uh, the only time it uses a ton of CPU is if you are working with footage in the H.264 codec. And if you know what that means, that's important to you. And if you don't, it probably isn't important. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um in the world of 3D, um, GPU is king. It always has mm-hmm. been, and it probably always will be. If you mm-hmm. want to be rendering anything in 3D, you need a good graphics card. Yeah. Um, every benchmark that I saw comparing Mac and PC, even like the top, top-end things, um, uh, when it comes to uh, rendering, 3D modeling and animation, all that kind of stuff, every Mac got smoked by Dang. every dedicated graphics card. Yeah. It was, it was almost them, a little embarrassing. Can't too surprised. Yeah. No. Okay. Um, uh, yeah, even something like Cinema 4D is a little bit more CPU bound in the editing stuff, but when you go to rendering, um, then they go to back to GPU. And then sure. for audio, anything audio, uh, almost mm. across the board is going to be entirely CPU. There's very few uh, uh, systems that run off mm-hmm. of graphics card. There's not a lot of graphics. Yeah. Audio. yeah. Not that that's entirely limited to that. So <laughs> I think the big two mm-hmm. factors, obviously choose the operating system you like and 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 work within that. Uh, but when it comes to uh, if, if you're willing to sort of jump outside of that and learn something new or you're sort of flexible or you're bilingual, mm-hmm as we talked about before sure. if you're if you're trying to buy a mac or, or if you're trying to buy a laptop or a desktop that's going to impact your choice quite a bit personally for me if i'm buying a laptop i'm probably going to go on the mac side if i'm going for a desktop i'm probably going on the pc side mm-hmm. when it but also it matters a lot what program that you're actually going to be using if it's something that leans more towards cpu bound stuff those m1 chips are pretty unbeatable right now mm-hmm. uh, or the m the m series chips are pretty unbeatable for the most part uh, but if you need something that's a lot more graphic intensive uh you can't beat an a nvidia 4090 or something like that mm-hmm. like yeah. the dedicated graphics cards which also happens to be good for gaming which is a hobby <laughs> that some in our field might have yeah that whole side is going to be more important sure. so the answer is de- it depends yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so Caleb, let me let me throw some I, some some propositions out there for you. I know yeah. we have another conversation to get onto here, but if I am a media person who gets to spend money once, and I need the most powerful machine that I can to mm-hmm. support my content creation, are you saying that in that instance, it also depends on what what is my <laughs> specialization? So, like if I am if I'm someone that's doing video and photo and uh, graphics, and I have a one time chance to spend money. And not an excessive budget, but I don't have, you know, maybe we'll be able to do some upgrades down the line. Maybe. But presumably most churches will say we have a budget to buy something once and it's a one and done. What would you say going to 2024 year that a media creator within the church should lean toward? Or think, maybe maybe there's a valuable disclaimer to say it's it's customizable, as you've said, but I'm just yeah. curious what you would say I, in this I conversation. Personally, the first question I'm gonna ask is are you do you need a laptop or would you be okay with a desktop? Because the it, there's no question. It is cheaper to get good performance in a desktop than it is in a laptop. Mm-hmm. And if you have the same budget to spend on both sides, mm-hmm. putting that money into a computer that doesn't have to be portable will yeah. get you more horsepower. But there are some creatives 
that need a laptop. Like that's just mm -hmm. functionally important for the job that they do. Sure. And if that's the case, then, you know, I, I, would, oh, yeah. I would go more towards the MacBook side personally. Mm. Well, there you have it. I uh, I don't have a budget for you either right now, but it's a great <laughs> idea to look into. Thank yeah, thank you, man. I, I I hope that's helpful to those in the audience. I don't know if we have any questions or anything today, but I think what's valuable, Caleb, about what you said is not only is it subjective, but also there are some some trends we're seeing going into the new year. So I'm curious to see how the new chip will continue to perform. Um, cause I don't know where they are like that, that was, that was just released. There's a lot of potential for what it could be. Um, because I think no, this month, November, 2023 is the official launch of it. So hopefully we'll see continued good performance, especially as they really get into it. I feel like it showcases, it's always really easy for them to have the, the best control over this oh, instance so that they yeah, sell it well. Right. So I'm curious to right. see how it'll do in the wild once we really get into the practicals of the M3. Mm. So yeah. I'm excited to try one. I I'd like to play with it and see, see what I can do. I'm excited for for the actual benchmarks to show up, not just um, what yeah. Apple tells us sure. it is going to be. Mm -hmm. It's also worth noting, it's also worth noting that there have been a lot of Windows ARM-based processors like in rumors, like it is being worked mm -hmm. on. Uh, and was, when that shows yeah. up, you know, it, at least the laptop side will be much more comparable. I was going to ask if like we've heard any response yet from the PC development world to uh, to Mac's new stuff. It's a little early, mm -hmm. but I, it sounds like what you're telling me is that they're they're working on it. Yeah, yeah, and I I do think it makes a lot of sense in in a laptop environment. You know, like Greg said uh, a little earlier, there are some laptops that do offer you the ability to upgrade specifically RAM and storage. Usually, not like the CPU or GPU or anything like that. Sure. Um, hmm. But meanwhile, Mac, uh, you used to be able to upgrade the storage and the RAM with the mm -hmm. new arm chips i do not you definitely can't upgrade the ram i don't think you can upgrade oh, yeah. storage and they charge you an arm and a leg if you want to upgrade the storage because i think the base model comes with like 512 uh gigs mm -hmm. or something like that if you want to yeah. go up to like a, a two terabyte drive i think it's like a 500 hundred dollar increase or something it is Jeez. horrifying how said much 200 terabyte how many two uh, terabytes, two terabytes. Right? It's okay. it like five. That's you know how much two terabytes would be if you just bought the drive. It would be a lot less <laughs> than that money. I mean, uh, we we work off of like we we purchase what those T sevens way back mm -hmm. there are two terabytes, and I think, I mean, like right now I think they go for like a hundred fifty or something like that. Yeah, it's, it's not a lot. It's it's not that much money, and the fact yeah. that you can't upgrade it afterwards. Meanwhile, on the Windows side, you can. Uh, mm -hmm. Greg is mentioning the framework, which is a very cool company that makes uh, completely upgradable laptops where you can like pull out the CPU and the GPU. And it's very cool. They're well, very cool. Check them out. But that's a very <laughs> particular kind of customer that Greg is. And <laughs> most of our audience is not. And that's totally fine, too. Anyway. I love it. Well, guys, hey, if anyone gets a, I was going to say, if anyone gets an M3 chip uh, computer and they want to send it our way for, so we can test it out, just let us know. Just mail it. Hey, <laughs> just, you know what? Mail, yeah. mail it over. Apple, <laughs> Apple, this is your chance. You can, mm -hmm. you can become a sponsor of the Black Bar podcast. <laughs> so here's your opportunity. I know you're a small company. A small company. Here's a chance. Come on. <laughs> it's a big opportunity for you. Yeah. Well, Nick, I caught you off. I know you were heading into the next one. So all oh, you you're buddy. good. Probably the reason why a lot of you guys clicked on this here. We, we also want to talk about Taylor Swift and how her heiress tour could be affecting the church. Um, 
this kind of came up because I started seeing a whole bunch of videos on TikTok of um, you know people recording in the theater and um, people are just going nuts in the theater, like you know singing along, jumping around. I think the one that really caught my eye is they had like uh, everyone was holding hands and running around in a circle. And you know, as a person who feels that film is very important, that cinema <laughs> is very important, my first reaction, honestly. Was I was upset. I was like, what are you doing? This is, this you know, is the inside theater. of a movie oh. theater. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like people yeah. are getting out of their seats, going down to the front aisle and, and running around. And, uh, you know, my initial reaction um, was, was very negative. Right. <laughs> and it, it took a little bit of time for me to get to the place where I was like, you know, this is OK. Um, there, there there are some really good reasons behind um this thought process, but I do think for like a lot of people who are uh, very much into cinema, th- you know, there could be some very negative reactions. And Caleb, I know I would consider you to be one of those people. Um, I feel <laughs> your <laughs> list of movies you think are good end after there will be blood, and uh, the one before it is um, sure. I don't. Oh, I don't. He's a big taxi driver fan Listen. as well. Oh yeah, you're right. Taxi driver. Three films. I don't. Yeah. I don't watch a lot of movies, but I do watch. Only very good. Yeah. What did you say, Nick? What was the other one? He's a taxi it's, driver. It's, it's, it's four now. Taxi driver, Magnolia, um, there will be everything blood, everywhere all at once. Everything, oh, yeah, everywhere. Okay, there's five, yeah. 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 five yeah. films that yeah. Caleb has watched in his entire lifetime. <laughs> Excellent. Well, yes. <laughs> sure. <laughs> uh, and Taylor uh, Swift. But, uh, and the Taylor Swift Eras <laughs> tour, which yeah. I went to on opening night so technically wow i went to it an, when it was originally announced to be opening night but apparently that sold out so she opened up more tickets the day before so there were people oh, wow. who saw it before me but i went to and i'll also clarify that this was not necessarily because i was super excited to see it is because my wife was super excited to see it and we of weren't going to blow a thousand dollars on actual eras tour tickets sure. so 30 bucks to go see her uh and the thing we also brought my sister-in-law with me as well and to your credit uh, you've been you were a taylor swift fan back in college especially so you've got yeah. enough of respect of oh, her yeah. to enjoy uh, the experience i i do respect taylor swift and she's not my favorite musically. I got very much into her in high school. I worked to get into her because my girlfriend at the time was very into her. Now my wife. <laughs> oh, so I, I have yeah. I have like worked to become a Taylor Swift fan, and I you know I think there are very few people in the entire music industry that have gone gotten to the point of success that she has right now like she is in a list of single digit names of people who have had the kind of impact that she has all that being said i went to the aero store on day one i didn't realize it was going to be three hours and change long it was very long (laughs) um did you wear pink i did not wear pink did you wear i was i was if you're more gonna commit, like you a, gotta commit. I was more of like a reputation girly. I was doing the old black thing, you know. So, <laughs> did you know all the the words to say during the songs? There were a few that I knew. I did not sing along, but like Aww. when she sings "You Belong with Me," there isn't anyone yeah. in the room that doesn't know the words. All right, sure, sure. They, I know because they were all screaming them over. Oh my god. <laughs> Um, mm-hmm. so I went there and, you know, I had seen little clips of people like dancing in the aisles and stuff beforehand, but that's, yeah. that was very much the experience. There were people like 
fortunately nobody got up by the screen i, I would have been a little annoyed at that but all through yeah. the aisles and whatever people were jumping up dancing mostly wow. teenage girls um running around singing crying there was crying mm-hmm. um like everybody was super it was very much like a live experience and like nick was saying something that i've never experienced in a a uh, a movie theater before yeah. mm-hmm. um usually audience participation in movie theaters peaks at like horror movies when people scream for the most yeah. part yeah. or like end game when when yeah. you hear someone say on your left and everybody knows what that means except yeah, for yeah, me yeah. i don't know what that means right mm-hmm. uh, so, <laughs> or christian movies when they're like now. hey please stand up if you uh yeah. feel called to this or something <laughs> really right? cheesy christian movies yeah mm-hmm. so for, for the most part it doesn't really happen and and i had a relatively positive experience at the thing i thought it was really cool honestly to see everybody like it's cool to see anybody excited about stuff nobody yeah. gets oh, yeah. excited about anything anymore everybody's depressing so so for for, <laughs> wow. for all of those people to be like so tightly connected and so excited about sure taylor swift it was inspiring. Mm-hmm. It was fun to be a part of that atmosphere. Um, cool. But it did sort of result in the conversations. Nick and I were talking about it afterwards, and and the three of us were talking about it afterwards, of like the, and I'll use this word, the meta of what movie experiences like has sort of this newcomer now of like, oh, yeah. that's a new thing. That's a weird thing. I don't know if it's going to dramatically change how movies are watched moving forward. Personally, I don't think like this is going to like affect just a typical, you know, whatever next movie Scorsese puts out or whatever, generally speaking, I don't think people are oh, going to yeah. be running around in the, in the aisles and whatnot. The, I don't think he I could the four hour movie <laughs> yeah, that he no. just came out with. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I heard it's good. I also heard it's maybe a little it's, worse. Anyway. Yeah. yeah. Could be I, I, do, I feel like there's two things that are worth noting before we like kind of merge one right. and Nick, this is this you brought to us. I think it was okay. the president of the AMC theaters in yeah, engagement. Yeah, that was the craziest thing is uh, I also saw that on TikTok, And, and those yeah. one of the, the things that really changed my opinion is because uh, he released a video and it's very possible the video was played before the uh errors tour premiere yeah. right like in the theater where he's just saying you know basically he was correcting for what it's worth okay were you at amc yeah huh. interesting interesting he was you know encouraging people who were there to participate to scream sing along jump up and down you know a couple of things like don't do this don't do that but like have fun and you know one of the reasons why Permission i started thinking about this yeah yeah like you know you're 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 allowing the audience to do that but it's like um, you know, I think of like theaters are in real trouble since 2020 theaters have been, uh, in a lot of financial trouble. It's 2023 and, now and they're still, struggling. yeah, yeah. They need to come up with a way to change what they're doing to bring people back to the theater. And, uh, a lot of summer blockbusters, there are some summer blockbusters that did well, that did that, but they didn't, it wasn't consistent. Yeah. Um, but this, this format, this kind of thing, I think really changed that and the thing i think that's the linchpin here is that it was a more experiential thing it was something that you got to participate in rather than just sit and observe and Mm. uh not just god but you were encouraged to participate in oh yeah 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 yeah. like you're given permission you know (laughs) well i I can't say last time i was in the theater watching you know any even a marvel film right like like Caleb was saying, the most you get is like gasps and people shouting when like, you know, 
uh gosh i don't know if i can spoil at this point it's been a few years but like you <laughs> know that one moment when game. one character Endgame. grabs the, the <laughs> hammer right you know everyone's like oh my gosh i knew it right yeah. you know so but the, the the thing too that i wanted to make sure we didn't skip over it's kind of like a mm. counter thought is that i don't yeah. know if this could have happened on just about anyone else other than taylor swift especially right now mm-hmm. in culture in this time uh she's currently dating travis kels from uh you know from the nfl um which has been a huge like a huge thing i, yeah. <laughs> I just talked to a friend hey. that was like i think this could be a total publicity stunt which i mean if you're if you're being super skeptic yeah sure we can get into that but i i, I don't know <laughs> it's like podcast. yeah next podcast we'll talk about you know the the capitalism mindset um but <laughs> as far as um the taylor swift experience goes i can think hmm. of maybe two or three others like a beyonce or maybe a billy eilish could pull something like this off sure but even then like it's it's this high level of production and popularity mm-hmm. and fame that was able to make something like this happen which is which i, yeah. I think yeah. in a lot of ways is the only way something like this could have been encouraged from the get-go however i wonder how replicatable it is um outside of an experience like this yeah i i, I don't know i i i don't think it's impossible that we will see more tour movies premiering yeah. in yes in theaters. Um, I know this isn't the first one that did it. A couple of years ago, I went to the like a, there was a short film like well not short film it was like forty five minutes to an hour of a film that only was in IMAX and never released anywhere else for wow. Kanye West's Jesus oh, is that's King right. album. Yeah. And that was amazing, and I loved it. Mm-hmm. And Kanye's gone off the deep end, unfortunately, since then. <laughs> but I feel a little um, more than just that. But yeah, yeah <laughs> yes. Uh, apparently, he was supposed to have an album that came out on Friday, but or today. But it, it, oh. surprise, surprise, got delayed. If if you have ever been a Kanye fan, that is not a surprise at all. Um, <laughs> but the the so this isn't the first time. But with the success of this, and I imagine the ridiculous amounts of money that Taylor Swift seems to be printing off on a daily basis, <laughs> there will be more. We will see more of these. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Will that affect other movies? Like Greg was saying, the the mm-hmm. uh, soundproofing between movie yeah. uh, theater rooms might need to be increased a little bit. <laughs> yeah, um, absolutely. They're not I, built I for would that. Absolutely, believe that if someone was watching a movie in the theater next over, they would have heard this. There's no way. Sure. It was like I I was having difficulty hearing the actual movie mm-hmm. with that's how crazy. many people were, that's were singing and screaming. Yeah. And, and that's the thing that makes my cinema brain just like, yeah. it's like i want to hear what's going on but which is it's interesting i mean like you look at like this year of course barbenheimer happened we had a podcast oh yeah right you Mm -hmm. i did not experience that at either of those films and they are arguably the biggest films of the year and Mm -hmm. so i don't know it's just such a different dynamic you know to to, uh, imagine if people would have been i I think you had a lot of people dressed up as barbie and you had a lot of people that were also dressing for the barbenheimer experience and wearing all black and looking like uh, oppenheimer but like it it kind of stopped at the pre-show experience and once the movie began everyone was fully engaged and connected at least in my experience i i don't know what sort of singing and dancing could have been going on during oppenheimer (laughs) as soon as the bomb goes off everyone just like (laughs) 
Uh, there were maybe Barbie <laughs> slightly more. But yeah. uh, spoiler, the bomb goes I'm off. I'm just kidding. <laughs> the bomb goes yeah. off and off and I were what? Anyway, what? Um, maybe spoiler. a sing along. Uh, you have seen you have seen sing along movies. Like they'll they'll oh, post yeah. like I think it was Frozen yeah. One. They released the yeah. limited run sing along experience. So I'm sure that one targeted toward kids was a lot more engaging. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I'm I'm curious yeah. for something like a like a Hamilton. Did yeah. that ever mm. come out in theaters? I know there's like an Apple uh, an Apple Plus version. Uh, I don't know if that. Yeah, actually I don't know. To theaters. I don't think. Maybe I'd be definitely curious went to if people. Yeah. yeah, I'd be curious if people were singing along if that but had a premiere. Let's Similar look at that. Like that. Yeah. In the Hamilton experience on Broadway, I imagine they would not encourage you to engage and stand up and <laughs> oh, sing. No, so not. I, I'm <laughs> I mean, wasn't there a congresswoman that was thrown out recently because yes, she was, was singing along to yeah. a... Uh, among, among other, other things. things. <laughs> but let's not <laughs> let's talk not about Congress um, people. I love how right you guys both at the same time were like, among other things. Yeah. So I think I think what what we're starting to trace here is kind of the first real question that I wanted to get into is how is America's approach to experiences starting to impact us not just on a not just on a personal level but also on a faith based level. So like we see an invitation to engage with a in concert experience in the mm-hmm. Eras Tour live concert. It's absolutely an invitation to engage. However, mm-hmm. the mix is in a way in which the concert is a predominant and everyone that's singing along is the support. And then you. You head into Broadway or then you head into more specific cinema you head into a Scorsese film and then mm. they have not engaged and I would be surprised if like a Broadway would ever truly engage with people inviting people to stand and sing and dance oh. during the performance so I don't know I'm curious to see yeah. how much this I'd say I don't want to say it's 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 not going to happen again. I think it's very unique. I'm curious to see mm-hmm. how much we're going to see a swing when it comes to the culture, especially for movie theaters that are suffering, where they're trying mm-hmm. to find more. I don't want to say it's a gimmick, but they're trying to find more ways for audiences to want to come experience. Right. And if that sure. means elevating it and getting people involved and personally invested, I mean, that feels like we just saw it work with Taylor Swift. So yeah, yeah I, I do want to bring a small amount of, I guess, like a point of order clarity sort of thing is. Is, is that I do feel like I was equally, if not more so engaged watching like Oppenheimer in the theater than I was yeah. Barbie. I feel like engaged mm-hmm. might be the wrong word, but like certainly the participation outside mm-hmm. of like, cause engaging, like you can engage me and I could be doing nothing. Yeah. I could just be right. like absorbed in what is happening yeah. versus, uh, you know, running around to, I'm, it, it's going to be hard for me to be ex- so excited about something. I'm jumping up and dancing and singing along and all yeah. that kind of stuff. That, but that's not my personality. Obviously sure. I was in a room full of people who did have that personality and that was fine. Um, um, uh, my sister-in-law has that personality. I wish she could hit notes more often uh, sitting next to me. <laughs> that, that, that was fine. <laughs> she was having a blast. That's all that mattered. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, the, the, um, so I, I think when it comes to, cause the transition uh, mm-hmm. that we want to make over here is when we look at the church then, right. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and the church generally speaking, and uh, I think it's also important that we put a another point of clarity out there is that the three of us have experience in relatively speaking, like charismatic evangelical churches. We do not have a lot of experience in liturgical churches. So part of this conversation may not be super relevant to you if you are generally picking up a hymnal every single week. Um, You know, there are, Mm -hmm. there's less flexibility in that sort of space. So we we want to acknowledge that. Uh, But in evangelical charismatic circles, 
the first 45 minutes of or half an hour or so of every uh, church service, for the most part, is going to be the worship set. And that's going to be maybe two or three fast songs. Uh, then we're going to say a short prayer or something, and then we're going to go into a couple slower songs, usually like the, the praise set, and then there's the worship set, and then maybe have an altar call, depending on how the spirit's moving or whatever, and then we move on. Um, and participation in those experiences is going to fluctuate based on your church's culture, how good the worship team is that day, uh, how much the spirit is moving, you know, uh, whether that's hand raised sort of deal, uh, dancing around, singing along, all that, you know, that kind of thing. But generally speaking, at the very least in our lifetime, and chances are through most of our parents' lifetime, the the goal and the aesthetic and the tools used to achieve an atmosphere of worship have been extremely consistent, right? Mm. The genre has changed a little bit. It's we have drums now, and my dad didn't grow up with drums in the you know, when he started playing drums during worship, it was a big fiasco. Um, um, and maybe there's slightly less delay on our electric guitars than we had 10 years ago. Uh, (laughs) but for the most part, the the vibe of worship music has been relatively consistent, and the expected participation level of the people in the congregation has also been relatively consistent. And when how many of us have heard sermons or preached sermons about the idea of that worship is not music, right? Mm-hmm. Worship is a oh, lifestyle. Yeah. Worship is a right. mindset. Worship is what you do. Uh, yeah. It's not just yeah. an experience or anything. And yet in a congregational setting, worship has a very limited, very specific definition in that we're going into a time of worship now and our time of worship looks the same way every week without end. Mm-hmm. You have your dozen songs that you're picking between and, you know, maybe you pull something out from the vault every once in a while. Yeah. Um, but it kind of has been the same thing for a long time. Uh, and I think it's worth having the question for those who of us that might lean a little bit more innovative in general and want to see like change and, mm-hmm. and experiment in that sort of field. Is there room for us finding new ways to worship our creator, uh, either through different styles of music and different aesthetics there, or just entirely different ways? Like you don't need music to worship, right? What are other mm-hmm. ways that we could do that? Um, and, you know, that's sort of the conversation that spurned out of us talking about, you know, girls screaming in errors movie. I don't know if you guys yeah. have any thoughts since last oh, yeah. we talked it's, about this sort of thing. Yeah, uh, there, there's that, definitely that connection between, you know, the, the, that cinema snob culture that I had, right, mm-hmm. and feeling like, well, you can't change this up. You can't make this different, right, that I feel could, you know, um, 50 years ago, it was the drum thing, right, and electric guitars. Uh, you know, throwing those out uh, or sorry, keeping those and throwing out the, the organ. Right. Like, mm-hmm. um, but it's interesting to think like in my knowledge of church history, right. There's been a lot of worship services being primarily music related, um, sure. at least in the hun- last hundred years that I'm aware of, mm-hmm. um, man, I would love to see some something different and i i think the challenge is when it's corporate right like Mm -hmm. it's very easy for everyone to get on the same song with the same lyrics and participate together it's more difficult if you're like all right everybody here is some pen and paper um go draw write some poetry 
journal, whatever you want to do, right? And we're just mm-hmm. gonna sit here for a little bit, and then we're going to talk about it or something. Right. I I, I know an example that I've talked about with pastors in the past is hmm. uh, the idea of you know the sharing of testimonies, right? Which is not something mm-hmm. that a lot of churches do anymore, probably because they got one too many really weird people <laughs> sharing something that they can't control. Kill, that's uh, like the one time you told us about a, te- uh, a person that got saved at a church you uh, were attending at oh, the time. yeah. And then they just started sh- shouting explicitives. Uh, they were, ex- oh, they were yes. so overwhelmed yes. by how yeah. good their experience with God yes. was. I effing love shouting. Jesus. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> they did. They screamed it I in the lobby. It. Oh, my God. And yeah. the pastor, like, God bless him, celebrated with him and then afterwards talked <laughs> a little bit yeah, yeah. more <laughs> and some of the cultural things there, which that was the correct way to handle that situation. Uh, 100%. Good job, Pastor. Um, um, uh, yeah, and I think the the sharing of one's testimony is a fantastic way, like hearing what God is doing in people's lives on the mic live and just encouraging each other back and forth. Um, like absolutely that can bring about an atmosphere of worship that doesn't even necessarily require music. And you can even, mm-hmm. you know, put your keyboard up there and oh, yeah. put one, four, play. six, one, you can play little things in the background. Right. Uh, yeah. that's fine. But like, it, there are other ways to bring about worship that don't necessarily require that. And I do think that mixing it up from time to time is a really interesting way, not only of keeping your congregation on your toes, it's not just innovation for innovation's sake, but mm-hmm. practicing, exploring various areas of worship corporately mm-hmm. encourages people uh, experimenting and how they could do that personally in their own lives. Because not mm-hmm. everybody worships to music personally as well as they do other sure. things. I know for me personally, it's a lot of reading, it's a lot of pacing around my basement or my first floor and just praying and talking to God and having that sort of mm-hmm. experience. Sometimes it's having conversations with other people, whether that's theologically uh, focused or philosophically. Those are the times that I feel closest to God, right? It's mm-hmm. not necessarily sitting in a church service and playing oceans mm-hmm. for the 400th time necessarily, right? Um, different people you know, connect with God in different ways, but we only really connect with God this way in a church yeah. service. So, so let me uh, mm-hmm. let me throw something out there. I've got like I got a couple thoughts, and I can I can hear Nick uh, winding up. I can just feel it. Um, <laughs> I have a couple thoughts. First, yeah. uh, uh, connecting connecting our themes. One is what Taylor Swift did. Is that considered art? Art, of course. Okay. Yeah. So then the oh, yeah. concept I would is, say. is that music performance mm-hmm. engagement mm-hmm. is art. So then, what you mm-hmm. consider worship services art? Yeah, they're not uh, always yes. good art. <laughs> by yeah. by definition, art. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes. So yes. I, I guess I guess a question then is what you know this maybe this is too broad of a question. What is the purpose of art within the church, and does the current framework by with which evangelical spaces engage with worship? Check that box of art because I feel like in a way, what like I know the, how the three of us think. And I feel like in a lot of ways, we're looking to be engaged with. And I think the most effective forms of art is art that engages with us on a deep level. Like art is subversive because it gets around the blockades that we have up mentally and emotionally Mm -hmm. and in our, our, you know, in our present uh, realities. And it hits us in a deeper way. And kind of what I'm hearing about the tensions that we're feeling with worship Mm -hmm. is that 
in many spaces, it doesn't feel like it is that subversive experience that we're looking for when it comes to art that we're hitting. So uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but that almost feels like a tension, a central tension that we're experiencing here. Yeah, I, I do think, you know, no question, worship mm-hmm. uh, uh, worship music, music in general is art, whether it's good or not, it's relatively speaking subjective. Um, uh, the, the goal of art in the church probably changes it probably differs sometimes mm-hmm. it's to bring about you know a, a more worshipful tone experience and stuff like right. that. sometimes it's to communicate a specific message uh you mm-hmm. know to the, your congregation to bring about life change or whatever anything like that so I, I i would imagine to some extent it it fluctuates however one thing that i think um because i love art i'm really big into art really big into fashion mm-hmm. uh, like it, it's something i di- digest regularly mm-hmm. um uh there is a word in the art world that is probably the worst thing that can be said about someone's art um, that could probably be said about almost all, uh, I won't say Christian art in general, but at least the kind of art that we experience. Can we guess? Can we guess? Can we guess what the word is? Mid? Sure. You can even have a guess. Go ahead. (laughs) Is it mid? No. (laughs) I was going to say unoriginal. Bro, this is super mid. Uh, More or less, uh Mm -hmm. the word is derivative so for you to have a piece that is derivative it is something that is aesthetically matching the vibe of things that have happened already without Mm -hmm. offering any new ideas in in, sure on top of that right so like Mm -hmm. jackson pollock invented the idea of like the super expressionist like throwing paint on the wall sort of things and we've had anybody in an art class in like the eighth grade mm-hmm. have a project where they have to do something like that. Sure. And every single one of those pieces is derivative. Aesthetically it matches, mm-hmm. uh, but sure. it's not offering anything new to the table necessarily. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. And I think you could say about 90% of the art used in congregational worship services is inherently derivative. And I do think that, Mm-hmm. I do think that's a problem uh, because it it leads to a feeling of stagnancy where I'm I'm sort of getting the same thing every time. To some extent, it's consistency, and I do think that's sort of the the thing that they're trying to balance is that they want to make sure when you show up on a Sunday morning that you. For the most part, you kind of know what you're getting because everybody's very concerned about retaining guests. So a consistent mm-hmm. experience is one that I feel safe coming back to every time. But sure, also at right, the same time. Right. <clears throat> encouraging and pushing people forward mm-hmm. with new experience and new arts and new perspective, new ways to think yeah. about things is how we bring about the life change in the guests that we mm-hmm. want to stick around. Right. So I recognize it's a balance, but I feel like right now, personally, it's really hard on one side when mm-hmm. I can be playing a song from 15 years ago that came out in the general CCM world. And it mm-hmm. just slides right in aesthetically with a lot of the new music that's coming out right now. You can sure. s- talk about any other genre of music and that for the most part, maybe other than country, uh, cannot be said, I don't think. So if I can help advance the conversation, it sounds like broadly we're recognizing that there has become a meta or a standard of yes. Christian music, specifically in the evangelical Protestant world. That's kind mm-hmm. of what we're the tension that we're dealing with here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. So, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, uh, clearly a lot of things have had to have worked to get us to where we are. I think that there's, uh, in the history of the process of arriving at this music, the reason it's been replicated so much is because the original, the original creator, the Jackson Pollock of the contemporary Christian music world, <laughs> uh, set a standard that was truly impactful and registered with people on a deep spiritual level. So I think mm-hmm. that was probably uh, I think that was probably an origination of this. I mean, would you guys? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I do think that there's been a handful of artists over the years that have like Christian CCM mm-hmm. like worship artists that have actually like made notable steps forward. Yeah, uh, most recently, I feel like Maverick City has been punching sure, yeah, above their weight pretty heavily yep. and, yeah. and yeah. making some changes in there. Uh, which the the um, I do appreciate aesthetically the direction. It's not my favorite music in the world, but I will take it. So any change, I will take it. <laughs> yeah. um, there you go. Maybe maybe uh, we can have Chandler Moore on the podcast, and he, he can talk about this more in right. depth. There you go. <laughs> uh, obviously, Hillsong when they first broke out on the scene was was pretty. Mm-hmm. Amazing. They really brought I, I'd call it like arena rock to the the sure. uh, the world of, of worship music. Bethel obviously had a huge impact as well. Uh, but then I think for the most part, they like hit a thing, all of them, mm-hmm. they hit a thing. And then that was the thing they were known for. And the they ride. kind sure. of just kept evolving mm-hmm. on mostly the yeah. same, which most artists do. And no artist can ever win because you do the same thing that you mm-hmm. want. And they say they want something new and you do something new and they say they want more of the old yeah, thing. Exactly. And I, mm-hmm. I recognize that. Yeah. Um, but I, I do think the standard for innovation in the church world of art is lower across the board. And I do think for it, as long it is, is as long as that is the case, uh, mm-hmm. we will always be, at least in the world of art, um, uh, behind uh, in terms of expressing Christian ideas and whatever uh, through that medium, which is yeah. a shame. Because we led the way for so many hundreds of years. Yes, I, and I do have like two thoughts that feel like need to be stated, and I think uh, <laughs> Richard Lake uh, shared an important one. And yeah, the first Richard's is that sharing so much, he shared some good it. stuff in the comments. <laughs> uh, a couple weeks back, a couple episodes back, we had Sheree Bishop on, and she got mm-hmm. to talk about the intentionality of worship structure over an arc of a service. And I think that's a valuable right. conversation mm-hmm. to hear if you are interested in hearing more about this conversation, because I think that does help us get a little bit more insight into the, within the evangelical Protestant or whatever, whatever word you want to use within this current sphere, there can be a way to find an intentionality um, that helps drive, um, you know, again, intentional art. I think that there can be a reality in these spaces where that can still happen. Even if there is a meta, I think it's still valuable to engage oh. with the reality of uniqueness, mm-hmm. even within the 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 realm that you're creating in. Thing number two, uh, we had Nikki Lerner on in season uh, one. She's yeah, a multicultural Nikki, she's coach. She talked mm-hmm. a lot about this as well because she was able to bring a different perspective to our conversation. Um, and then mm-hmm. in, in which she was talking about Whenever possible, it's so important to create your own art for your own community mm-hmm. that has a voice that only you can bring to your, to yeah. your congregation. Right. And I think the reality is is that uh, to to um, to Richard Lake's uh, conversation, um, mm-hmm. the reality is is that sometimes that is 
capped off by the size and the scale of your church. Um, we have our church has a partner church that's in Wyoming, in which it's like maybe twenty people. Mm-hmm. They're not probably going to be able to have the capacity to do a ton of innovation beyond mm-hmm. the experience uh, and the skill level that they have in their very, very, very tiny town. Um, right. So there is an instance in which they're going to do what mm-hmm. is most valuable to their community, and I think ultimately that church would be more striving mm-hmm. for unified worship than unified artistic innovation. Ooh. So I think yeah. that's something that's valuable to see when it comes to the size. Ooh. I'm not saying that they can't. Yeah. I am saying sure. this is just uh, in the context Caleb, of Caleb, I want to from yeah, I want to hear from what you <laughs> and then I got I got a yeah, I got something. So I think yes, but I I will give mm-hmm. in terms of church uh worship service innovation over the past 15 20 years, one area where we have continued to see improvement and more and more resources resources and definitely way more money put into it is everything around the experience of worship being the lights and the sound mm-hmm. system. Yep. And we went from overhead projectors to, you know, color projectors to now full scale led walls yep. um, to smoke machines and all of that in effort of creating an atmosphere of worship. And I understand there's people who don't care for all that stuff. Do I think it's the most important thing in the world? Absolutely. I don't. And I say that as a media professional who <laughs> wouldn't have a living if it wasn't for those kinds of technologies. <laughs> sure. Um, um, but the the i that is all in pursuit of a level of production value that mm-hmm. i and to your point that i don't necessarily think is critical for having like a a uh, an artful experience a a innovative experience mm-hmm. in an artistic way for a worship set mm-hmm. um I can point to someone like Bob Dylan, who was a folk singer from like the <laughs> 60s and 70s, who was just a dude with an acoustic guitar who can write a mean song and literally change the culture for a decade, if not more. And he was just a dude mm-hmm. with an acoustic guitar. Uh, oh, yeah. so I don't think it takes, obviously it takes someone with the talent. Like, And if you only mm-hmm. have 20 people to pick from, the chances are you're going to find someone with that talent is going to be lower than if you have 2,000. Uh, but I... I don't believe it takes huge teams to be innovative in a creative, like artistic way, whether that yeah. is musically or through other means of worship. Mm-hmm. Um, um, it doesn't hurt, but I don't think it's necessary necessarily. And I, I think guess smaller so. churches tend to be uh, more flexible <laughs> in general because there are less committees and mm-hmm. whatever they have to go through yeah. to get ideas like that passed. Yeah, and I guess what I'm saying is I'm not trying to take the big churches that are in a place mm-hmm. of innovation or advancement off the chopping block of you guys should be artistically advancing um, worship, not just through contemporary music. I am saying that I think the most important thing for a small community, for example, let's say they have one person that does music and they're getting burned out because they've been playing music every single week. I think it's more important to have an engaging, connected, unified service based around worship that maybe, let's say Oceans. Maybe Oceans is the song that's going to move us today and we're going to move together because Mm -hmm. we're on the same page. I think that might be more important than just making art because we need that art to be able to help us experience something different. I'm not saying sure. they're mutually exclusive. I am mm-hmm. saying in like a small church setting, for example, a smaller mm-hmm. community, I think it would be more important to worship together. Uh, and that doesn't have to just be mm-hmm. music, but worship together over innovate. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You know, it's uh, so there seems to be a similar thread here of something that actually happened uh, with Blaze Nelson, uh, one of our certified pros on the Discord. 
he uh, he uh, he wrote a song for his church. Um, and I wish Blaze was here because he'd probably correct me if I'm wrong. But <laughs> I, I feel like he wrote it because the church had just been in a certain season, and it was a song that came out of that season um, that he felt like the congregation congreg- congregation needed to hear. And like I think about like. You know, there's a marketing thing that we talk about a lot that like, you know, uh, you need to talk to your audience, right? We'll talk about how we don't want every church shouldn't look like the graphics of Hillsong or Bethel or all these bigger churches because each church has a unique culture. And I feel like some a point that's kind of between and, and linking both of what you guys are saying is like for for Blaze, he did a great job in creating art. That was specific to the culture of his church. Yeah, right. And, and I mean, I wish he was on because I wish he could tell us a little <laughs> bit more about it. That was and cool. I also think another very important factor uh, with art in general and worship yeah. services, notwithstanding, uh, is that art in general is like eighty percent context and twenty percent the actual piece itself, and that the mm-hmm. story around it and the conversations oh, yeah. it's having with other art and uh, the the story of whatever medium it's in at the time plays a big part. I like the the number one example that I can think of in my head specifically in terms of a church uh, scenario. Uh, Nick still attends Grand Rapids first. I'm on the opposite side of the state, but I worked there for a number of years and a extremely close friend of ours. And I'm not going to get emotional about this right now because I'm doing a podcast, but uh, she passed away uh, and she, uh, Sarah Reifkogel, she was uh, the daughter of our lead pastors. um, And she was also saying and worship, worship every single week. Uh, Pastor Drew was our lead and and she was right beside him. And uh, when she passed away, she had cancer. Um, They, during the celebration service, uh, managed to uh, have a uh, play a song uh, that we sang Mm -hmm. regularly. And while that was happening, there was a recording of her singing the song happening Mm -hmm. at at the same time. So she sang her own celebration service. Well, and there mm-hmm. was not a dry in the room. I get emotional thinking about the moment. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> I was going to say, you didn't warn me about this, dude. <laughs> I know. I know. Yeah. Um, um, but the, yeah. the amazing, like, like, like the experience of worship in that setting of even in the face of death. Yeah, mm-hmm. being able to connect on that level, the so- I can't even remember what song it was because it doesn't freaking matter what song it was, right? Yeah. The art was more than the song; it mm-hmm. was the song in the situation, right? It was the context. So even even yeah. if even if you are not writing your own music necessarily, there's something important about understanding the context of the culture that you're in as your church specifically your town your city even a specific group within your church uh and choosing the right music choosing the right way to connect with them uh it's such an important Mm -hmm. piece of the puzzle and I'm, i'm i'm worried that that for a number of reasons obviously Sunday's always coming. We have a mm-hmm. lot to do. We have a set right. list to pick every single week. We're dealing with musicians that nine times out of 10 are not professionals, right? Mm-hmm. I have a friend that I grew up with that played bass for like three or four years, like the only bass player in our youth 
team that had the notes written on the frets because she <laughs> couldn't be bothered to remember them, right? Oh, boy. We're, they're not professionals. The music sure. needs to be relatively simple to be able to to mm-hmm. uh, uh, be executed. The, the melody and the lyrics need to be relatively simple for the people to be able to sing. There's a lot of factors going on. And yet... I feel like there's still room, whether that be aesthetically oh, yeah. through the genre that we're choosing, uh, mm-hmm. whether that be outside of music altogether, to find ways to worship our creator in ways that hasn't been done that perhaps mm-hmm. could make an impact on people that what we're doing currently isn't. Yeah. Um, and we'll never know mm-hmm. unless we're willing to experiment. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that, man. I appreciate that. Um, I, I think... The, the one objective that I want to make sure that we don't do is if you are listening and your church is not in a space in which they can innovate artistically. And l- we continue to pick on oceans because it's easy. You know, we all, sure. we all cried to oceans <laughs> at one target. point and now we're just like, oh, dang, it's oceans. <laughs> right. But right. if there is a church in which they're in a season in which oceans is exactly what they need, yeah. I don't want to discourage that no. church from using that. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. What I would mm-hmm. do is what you're saying, Caleb. How can we take intentional choices like that, expound upon them, and then with mm-hmm. the resources that God has given our church, grow them? So that doesn't even mm-hmm. have to be worship. If that means we'll play Oceans for the next six mm-hmm. years, I hope that's not the case, because I think then you're going to settle into a space that's too comfortable. However, right. are you finding the Oceans that every single week and every single season your church most needs to hear? If you're mm-hmm. able to write that content and create that content— like absolutely support the artists that can do that because I think God will bless that in immense yeah. ways. However, mm-hmm. if you do not have those resources, then try to find, and maybe this is a good segue, try to find what are the ways in which your church can engage mm-hmm. artistically, emotionally, personally, beyond just doing the same thing over and over again. Right. Because I think that's ultimately yeah. what's in our hearts is mm-hmm. we don't want the repetition of sameness of mm-hmm. what you call it, well, Caleb, what was the art called? Uh, that that is a problem. Like what derivative, what derivative, derivative. Uh, mm-hmm. We don't want the repetitive, derivative, singular, non-relevant content to be what our churches continue to mm-hmm. build our bases on, because that isn't working, and it will continue not mm-hmm. to work. However, where's the space in which you can find those things? Even if, even mm-hmm. if it's derivative to Church A, but it's valuable to Church B, then Church B continue to to lean into the thing that is most relevant to community. So that's, I just want to make sure that people hear that and that we don't build a right. bunch of people that are resenting their church playing Oceans. Uh, if no. your church is playing Oceans sure. six years in a row every service, then yeah, maybe talk to your worship sure. team or pastor about that. But <laughs> yeah. I just I want to encourage, and I also want the challenge. Yeah. So Right. It, it, it might also be worth talking, you know, so the, the next conversation might be more personal to us than generally applicable but i know mm-hmm. relatively speaking all three of us have gone to um not worship services but yes. music music <laughs> uh concerts mm-hmm. and and whatnot um that have had overtones of spirituality and worship aesthetics and everything like that that mm-hmm. all are also extremely different from a church service maybe some mm-hmm. of them a little bit more than others uh yeah Zach, i know yeah, you recently bit. went to go see the the christian band that swears sometime right i think that's what they're <laughs> called <laughs> i recently saw emory in a uh in in kind of like a stripped down right. show it's called songs and stories in which they played for about mm. three hours and intertwined their experiences mm-hmm. they took questions from the crowd and they also uh played music uh in a stripped down setting uh and i also recently went to 
to King's Kaleidoscope in DC. King's Kaleidoscope mm-hmm. is another band uh, that they got was some, one they got song. some feedback from one song, <laughs> because, one of, song. because they used the no no word. Um, I, I think you know, and, and you know, we could we could sit here and talk about this forever. Because back in back in college, Caleb and I listened to a ton of hardcore music, and during that time in college, this I, I swear this will connect. During that time in college, um, there was kind of a I don't want to say it was a trend. There was a wave of spirit-filled hardcore music in which I experienced some of the most life-giving, fulfilling, wholesome, connecting moments with God inside of a mosh pit, getting punched by people that I had ever experienced in my life. Uh, I think uh, I think we we brought it up to one of our professors who was talking about the theology of music, and we we dominated the class every once in a while to help them understand (laughs) that this was a viable form. And I think he was I think what he said is it's it's very it's almost primal in a way. Mm -hmm. Uh, The experience of worship, and I think that's kind of funny. But the bottom line is is that those settings, there's something about the energy and the experience that. You know, I know the Bible talks a lot about not to trust our emotions, but also I believe there's a there's a space in which the Holy Spirit allows us to experience things. And I think there's a live settings like this, the hardcore bands that we saw over the years, mm-hmm. uh, King's Kaleidoscope, Emery. There's a, there's mm-hmm. something about the energy in that moment, the unification of the people in the crowd, and then the true mm-hmm. like heart, the true spirit that's behind and undertone the music that made those experiences. I mean, truthfully, to this day, some of my best worship oh, experiences, yeah. even even. Even Emery with the stripped down experience, even King's mm-hmm. Kaleidoscope, me with a photography camera running around and just seeing an entire room of people mm-hmm. just excited and l- like life being given to them. There's just something about those kind of experiences that uh, I have not experienced in the same way within a church for a very long time. That's not to say I haven't experienced life-giving experiences but it's like they're, they're too in a church service i haven't been in a, in a while well we did go to a couple back in college yeah, we brought a yeah to some churches that's for sure but i i think in a way it's almost like different delineations of what a worshipful art experience is like and what i've experienced in concerts to some extent has differed from what i've experienced in services there is a crossover mm-hmm. it's like a venn diagram they're never right. exactly the same but there is that unified center that always uh i think makes those concert experiences the most life-giving especially when they are centered on christ which is interesting mm-hmm. Because you guys went to a concert recently from a band <laughs> called Swans, and they do not have, if we're looking at Venn diagrams, they don't have that little connected Venn diagram center. But you guys They're, can talk more about that. They might be two different things. <laughs> the la- Caleb, I want to say one thing about what, what you said before I switch to Swans real quick. Mm-hmm. When, when it comes to like the hardcore worship experiences, like obviously aesthetically and and, and the, the emotion, the drive in the room is very different than that of a normal worship service. But I also sure. think there's mm-hmm. something to be said about that kind of music you don't have to like the music it's fine uh but it allows us to get a a, almost a different perspective on god and worshiping Mm -hmm. different parts about who he is because yes uh, certainly the i love you jesus thank you for everything you've done for me that is something we should be thanking and worshiping god for every single day Mm -hmm. and also the power and the authority (laughs) over death hell and the grave is something Mm -hmm. that I don't care what anybody says sleeping giants going to be able to stomp that into the ground more than Hillsong will ever be able to do. Mm -hmm. And you can't convince me otherwise. Right. Uh, So different genres of music allow Mm -hmm. us to reflect different parts of our creator back, which I think is really cool. That being said, swans is a very (laughs) different picture. Mm -hmm. Um, Swans is okay. If you've never heard of swans, that's fine. 
you probably don't want to hear of swans. And that's if all you've right. ever heard a wood chipper that's breaking down. Oh my gosh. I'm so sorry. Uh, I have a couple swans albums on the the wall behind me. Well, there's one up, up there and there's another one on the shelf over here. Uh, but they are a, a ex- very experimental noise rock band. They've been around since the 80s. They're can, not can a that word again. Experimental noise rock band. Yeah. Um, they make noise they use a lot of noise they are (laughs) i think can attest to this the by probably a factor of three or four the loudest band i've ever heard in my life uh live we if we did not bring earplugs nick and i both would have left within probably five minutes it would would have been unbearably loud um yeah uh, but their music is Although it is not Christian music, it's not intended to be. Mm-hmm. I would absolutely say that it is spiritual music. That is, it mm-hmm. is intended to uh, sort of aesthetically get you in the direction of thinking about whether mm-hmm. that be the, the supernatural, whatever their word for it is, it doesn't matter. They don't really talk about it. Um, and most of their music doesn't even have any lyrics or very few mm-hmm. lyrics. So it's yeah. more of just a, a vibe. Um, mm-hmm. And the the uh, experiment i mean certainly experimental and the the tones that were going on and the aesthetics of the music absolutely brought me into i would say a spiritual place now there might yeah. be some listening uh, and i can understand the idea of listening to spiritual music that isn't christian music is this, there is a danger involved that i want to acknowledge right um you need to be careful about your spirit of what you're bringing in and what you're not bringing in. Um, uh, and the safest route is probably going to be to stick with the people who read the same book that you do. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think relatively speaking for mature Christians who have a sense of discernment about the spirit of, of sort of what's going on uh, and also is able to claim some dominion over art, you know, all things mm-hmm. are uh, uh, sort of worship the creator, whether they know it or not, to an extent, uh, I think um, it does sort of allow you the opportunity to see an image of God through the eyes of someone who hasn't met him yet. Mm. And there's mm-hmm. something fascinating about that. There is a there is a an honest like yearning, like this strong desire to want to experience it, and mm-hmm. yet like he doesn't have it. Like, but there's a desperation there that like number one wants me to go talk. I want to go talk mm-hmm. with him about you know, uh, but all at the same time like a desperation mm-hmm. that I feel like that I miss having grown mm-hmm. up with that having grown up with god already you know what i mean mm-hmm. um and i do think that uh that is something that uh, we we often do tend to lack in christian art circles because it's sort of taking for granted the gift that we've already been given perhaps the gift that we had already grew up with so we don't understand what it's like mm-hmm. otherwise but to hear someone's sure. like earnestly pushing out of his soul like like the dude, the lead guy, who's a bit of a jerk, I will admit. He but he's was like a jerk. He, he's like eighty years old. Like he's an mm-hmm. old guy, and he is like trying his hardest to connect with something beyond himself. Mm-hmm. Um, he's working so hard to do it, harder than I've ever seen someone on like a CCM stage do, mm-hmm. and that is inspiring. And 
there was value in it for me personally. Nick, I don't know. You went to say you're yeah. not as much of a big as a fan of Swanson's as I am. But sure. I think that's safe to acknowledge. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm curious what your experience was like in that setting. Nick's like, I want nope. to leave because you're a, you're a heretic. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. You know, it, it's funny because I, I kind of like poo-pooed it at the beginning here and and whatnot. And, you know, a lot of that was just for the joke. Um, mm-hmm. But like I would say we definitely agree that going to a Swans concert is about something you do once a year. Yes. Um, <laughs> yes. Um, like when I think of the music that I listen to when I'm really trying to get into a worshipful mindset, it's either me on my guitar or I'm listening to like Sigur Ross. I'm listening to mm. hammock. I'm listening to kind of that ethereal ambient kind of noise right and there's a weird we're talking about venn diagrams there's a weird overlap between swans and that music and and i find it really strange because like you're it's both kind of noise yours is just really loud (laughs) Um, yes all that to say like i'm sitting there and i'm listening to the music and i'm like you know, it's, it's a very different experience because instead of people like me, like, oh, yeah, you know, like the whole Taylor Swift idea of like everyone yelling and screaming, everyone like was just very chill. Mm-hmm. And there there were yes. certainly moments where like something amazing happened, a technical thing like, uh, you know, drummer did some really crazy. Uh, I'm not a drummer, so I'm not going to pretend like no words. Yeah, sure. like a Phil, a <laughs> Phil. I was going to say like a flam or something like that. And, um, you know, you'd hear somebody like, oh, yeah, like they'd be really happy about it. Right. But for the most part, I'm just standing there and I am closing my eyes and I'm listening to the music and I'm listening to the picture that it it creates in my brain. Mm-hmm. And like I, I, there's there are certainly moments where I was like, this is so loud and I don't know where this is going and I don't like the pictures it's giving me. Um, <laughs> but there are also moments where I'm like, man, this is this is really cool. And uh, there were certainly moments where I was enjoying myself. I think that's a bit of right. a joke because like, th- yeah, it is noise rock. And so there are definitely moments uh, where I, the yeah. artist's goal was not to make you comfortable. Yeah. Um, it, it's but, worth noting yeah. that our swans will take you to heaven and they will take you to hell and you'll yeah. be <laughs> dancing back and forth. <laughs> mm-hmm. There are some yeah. very yeah. intense, yeah. not necessarily mm-hmm. lyrically as much, but like musically. Oh, no. If you go yeah. to try mm-hmm. to listen, then prepare for but, some yeah. difficult music. I mean, there's even something worth valuable of like the interaction with the band members, right? Like to, to get right. very artsy or whatever, like everyone's coming together with this, this unique, different sound to create mm-hmm. a, a overall together image with their music. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. there are so many moments where like the, the lead like he was lead vocalist because only one doing vocals, but like the 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 eighty year old jerk <laughs> that you were yes. talking about, he like yes. he would stand Michael. up and he would do he would dance, but then he would also like uh, conduct the other individuals. And I just remember mm-hmm. some like the, those were my favorite parts is like mm-hmm. the team coming together and making this stuff, and it felt very on the spot. Like I don't know if yeah. they rehearsed it, but there was something very beautiful about the the chaos that had some form of organization around it. Yeah. And I don't yeah. know if that makes any sense. It, but it, I really if you guys, 
I think as we're coming to kind of like the close of the conversation, I want to kind of like transition us so that we can kind of mm-hmm. bookend this. We had we started with mm-hmm. Taylor Swift. We we <laughs> arrived at Swans. We made it to Swans. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I think I think as we're talking about this conversation today of of how can something like Taylor Swift or even how can something like Swans uh, affect our church mm-hmm. services? I think that there's just a, a necessary recognition of what is what is the way in which our community can and we should be encouraging people to connect with God and not just in the, what, two two hours of a Sunday, but in every other day of the week. Because ultimately, like, our faith is founded, mm-hmm. uh, of course, on a relationship with God, and that doesn't just happen once a week. So yeah. there's, there's a necessity to pursue that. And if you guys don't mind, I, I want to throw out something on the back end here, like a little bit of a mm-hmm. solution, so that we're not just talking in our experiences, and we're not just talking in uh, the vague cultural direction, but also like a really practical experience. There's something that my church has kind of engaged Mm -hmm. with uh, from a while back. Uh, It's a book. uh, It's a book by... uh, um, Let me find it. I literally just had it here. It's called uh, Sacred Pathways, Discovering Your Soul's Path to God Mm -hmm. by Gary Thompson, Mm -hmm. in which he describes Mm -hmm. nine different spiritual styles or sacred pathways, because every single person, the reality of every single person is that we all connect with God in a unique and different Mm -hmm. way. Um, So if you guys don't mind, I'm just going to run through those nine sacred pathways really fast. Uh, I highly recommend you check out the book. And I think there's even a test online as well in which you can kind of like figure out what is a sacred pathway. Um, Yeah. So I'll just kind of break those down unless you guys have any other transitional thoughts. No, go ahead. So the nine sacred pathways, the first one is a naturalist. So loving God outdoors. How many of us say I, when I get like myself, I say this all the time. My favorite vacation usually is at the ocean. There's something about Mm -hmm. being on the water or on the beach and just Mm -hmm. being present. The the noise of this, there's a reason that the ocean is a sound uh, is a noisemaker sound, right? Because we Mm -hmm. connect with God in the outdoors. So the naturalist is loving God outdoors. The the sensate is loving God with the senses. Uh, So what are the ways in which we're, uh, we're experiencing God with our taste, our touch, our smell, our sight, our sound. So, so, you know, maybe that's a, a scent uh, that that you associate kind of with the church or with experiencing God. Maybe that's visuals. Maybe this is kind of like the engaging with visual art, like going, like I recently went to mm-hmm. New York City uh, and, and got to engage with a lot of art at the moment there. Like, what are the ways in which we're engaging God with our senses? Uh, number three is the traditionalist. So loving God through ritual and symbol. Like, I feel like a lot of, especially like uh, uh, Catholic-based traditions, uh, early traditional churches, like things that are very ritual and symbol for some people, those are deeply uh, connecting with God. Uh, The next one, number four, is, um, uh, I apologize if I say this wrong, uh, the ascetic... Uh, loving God in solitude mm. and simplicity. So this is spending time in mm. and and breathing in uh, by yourself in solitude, getting away, being intentional, pulling your your time time with God in silence and solitude and simplicity. Number five is the activist loving God through confrontation, which is interesting. So this is talking like justice, mm. prayer walking, intercessory prayer, connecting with God mm-hmm. in ways that are extremely active and engaging, but also that help you grow closer to what you feel called to. Number six is the caregiver loving. God by loving others, so service, hospitality, mm-hmm. mentoring. That's another way we can connect with God. Number seven is enthusiast, mm. loving God with mystery and celebration. So conversational prayer.
prayer, worship. Uh, these are these are things in which we can put our emotions into mm. loving God and even engaging with the, the the concepts of mystery that the Bible is so founded on. Number eight is contemplative, so loving God through adoration. So this is breathing prayer, centering prayer, uh, 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 those kind of practices that really are contemplating a lot of sitting with your feelings and emotions and processing your experience and then the last one is intellectuals loving god with the mind so this is i mean this is classic pastoral stuff right bible study memorization uh one-to-one witness uh doing deep biblical research about concepts and ideas um those all all nine of those spiritual pathways are mm-hmm. ways in which we can engage with god and if you if you hear what i work through there Worship, congregational worship, was not necessarily in every single one of them. I think worship was mm-hmm. maybe mentioned loosely. You could connect worship to two or three of them. But there are mm-hmm. nine sacred pathways in which we mm-hmm. can invite God into our relationship that is unique to us. So how can right. we as a church invite people into those different sacred pathways outside of just worship? Right. I think those an assessment of those things is a way we can practically understand where our culture is going with experiences and make those experiences that much more connected with the foundation of all that God is. I I think it it makes me think of a personal experience I've had relatively recently. I was diagnosed with ADHD and um, started taking medication. It's been changing my life. It's been very, very helpful, (laughs) but I've only ever experienced church up until a month or two ago with Mm -hmm. ADHD. And there has been some things that have always been just very difficult for me to connect Mm -hmm. with and understand. And and like mostly being the last 30 minutes of any sermon, the first five minutes, I'm usually great. And then I start falling off pretty Mm -hmm. hard. Um, And then all of a sudden I experienced it like with a regular, you know, functional uh, mind uh, with, with my medication. And all of a sudden, like I can pay attention and I can listen and realizing how much our church services are built for a kind of person that I was not. Right. And yeah. I, I wonder, you know, being you know, Zach, you mentioned nine spiritual pathways. I, I, I'm sure there's dozens of them in total, mm-hmm. you know, like of all the different ways that people connect with God. Um, uh, but if if our church services are built and work really well with, like you said, two or three out of the nine, mm-hmm. then that's still that's a majority of people that still the way that yeah. they best connect with God, they are not experiencing in a church. Uh, absolutely. There is there is a difference between personal worship and experience with God versus a, a corporate setting, and some of those are certainly a lot mm-hmm. harder to be able to execute corporately sure. altogether, uh, you know, mm-hmm. uh, on Sunday morning as opposed to others. Uh, but I do think for pastors, for worship pastors um, who who have uh, routinely used this specific medium. Uh, for achieving a, a spirit and atmosphere of worship for for the congregation mm-hmm. to to jump into, um, uh, perhaps there are some alternatives that might be worth looking at. That might not be an every Sunday thing. It might not be an every month thing. But every mm-hmm. once in a while, changing it up can go a lot of ways to help reframe how people mm-hmm. look at and experience and worship God. And I, I don't think that's a bad thing in almost mm-hmm. any case. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. I, I, you know, Zach, you mentioned that stuff. I remember hearing that before, but it kind of is a little discouraging in my own mindset of like, we already recognize and understand that there are differences of worship for individuals. 
And yet mm-hmm. we kind of have stuck in this mold for the past hundred years, just change the style and the, the, the how things look right. Probably a lot longer um, than that. Yeah. And, and it's like, it, it is, it certainly there are things that are happening culturally where we're coming to a better understanding of understanding that ADHD is a thing, right. And how, sure. how common it is with people and understand that people are not all the same cookie cutter, uh, when it comes to how they interact with God, right. There's certainly amount of education that has to have happened. Um, but yeah, I just, I, it just really reinforces in my mind how much I want to see us try to break that mold. And uh, like you said, Caleb, I think there are definitely reasons why Sunday morning kind of has to be the way that it is. But there are other opportunities. There's Wednesday nights. There are Thursday nights. There are Monday nights. You know, there are a lot of other ways I feel like perhaps we could make the space within our own congregations to explore those more. And I do think uh, just to just as we're landing, I just want to make sure we're addressing uh, Richard Lake's um, statement about what's the difference to some extent. Is there is there a caution that our performance isn't equated to the experience? Uh, mm-hmm. And I think that addressing mm-hmm. and navigating these kind of spiritual pathways, I think that's where we can kind of find those answers of difference. Of mm-hmm. is what we're doing on a Sunday is that has that been boiled down to performance in the hearts of those that are oh, on yeah. stage and in, in the hearts mm-hmm. of the community? Mm-hmm. Like, are we leading or are our pastors leading people to recognize that sometimes the fleeting emotion that we're feeling that we're engaging with when the when that moment of oceans hits is that performance or is that truly connecting with God? And I think there's yeah. a, there's a there's a necessary element in which our leadership of the church and our community has to address that. And there's also a necessary element in which we personally have to address and assess that. Um, Mm -hmm. If we're not doing those things, if we're not addressing the sacred pathways, if we're not Mm -hmm. learning how to best connect with God outside of the hour that we're being fed on a Sunday, um, I think that's when something like that can be Mm -hmm. worrisome. And I think when a a church culture develops a performance-centric mentality, I think that can be seen. I think we've seen that Mm -hmm. a lot. So what are the ways in which you're inviting when you, in which you're recognizing the value and the emotion of performance, but you're moving closer to a relationship with God that looks more like art. I think maybe that's that's a yeah, way to go. Yeah, and I, and I think because I I certainly hear what you're saying, uh, uh, Richard, and even as someone who participated in uh, the Assemblies of God National Fine Arts Festival in the worship arts category, uh, um, you know, the performance in in our culture has always been a big deal, making sure we're yeah. playing the right notes and that you're jumping around, that you're super excited, and, and all that kind of stuff. And I do think in general that there there's too much of a focus on it. But I also think at the same note that whoever your worship leader is and really the whole team, I think of it as sort of like the quarterback of this experience, right? And that the that the the person who is the captain, the team lead of this worship experience should be working harder than anybody else. They should be the bar for everybody to see and look how how fervently that person is worshiping and authentically and authentically, right? Yeah. This is a, this is someone who means what they say, and every word out of their mouth is something that they believe very strongly, and it's inspiring, and it's a goal to work up to, so that we can all be brought in. Because worship requires effort. There's yeah. no doubt in my mind. It oh, should yeah. require effort from you, right? And sacrifice. And when yeah. you see someone on Sunday morning that is putting in that effort, it inspires us as the congregation to be able to do it. So mm-hmm. the performance element of it is not the important part. But it is a piece of the picture uh, mm-hmm. that 
encourages our congregation to be able to dive in. The only other thing I'll say, because I know we're at one thirty, and we have to end, yeah. is Zach, I feel like your <laughs> points would have been twice as strong if you had the vampire teeth in. And I'm bummed. Oh, shoot. Yeah, man. You got to put them back in. <laughs> <laughs> There I don't. Go. I don't know if I have them right. I, I wanted not to. Gonna stick. Uh, uh, uh. Wait. What? Yes, of course. <laughs> I feel like I'm oh changing God. the accent from the beginning to the end. Well, guys, <laughs> we should probably land this conversation because once again, even with two topics, we are going over time. There's the list again. Yeah. Um, yeah. Thank you so much for enjoying this conversation. Hopefully, you enjoyed uh, what we had to say. Uh, I'm really excited about how it went. Hopefully, you don't believe we're uh, any more heretics than we are. But if you do, or would you like to continue the conversation, you can hop over to the Discord, and we'd love to talk more about this because clearly, we're very passionate about this idea um everyone thank you so much for uh joining us today um i hope you had fun uh thank you for those that uh participated in the comments please continue to do that uh i'm having a hard time talking so we're gonna go ahead and land out this podcast uh thank you for joining us on today's episode of the black bar podcast and uh uh enjoy uh the conversation and where it went thank you guys appreciate you <laughs>